We all experience those times of doubt and wonder, really, what is going on. It's normal for most Christians. How do you get through it and past it? That's the subject of today's broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Join us. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and have the confidence that my God will supply all my needs. See, like Paul, John went to the source. Negative circumstances are tough, beloved. But all they need to do is drive us to the Lord, who will respond to those struggles by replacing our doubt with faith. Welcome to Graceful Truth, the weekly radio program originating from the pulpit teaching ministry of Grace Bible Church, located here in Redwood City, revealing God's grace through God's truth. Here today on the broadcast, we find ourselves not only in Luke chapter 7, but Matthew as well, as we take a look at the doubt that we see in John the Baptist. Now, if you'll remember, he's been arrested and captured, and he has his disciples go and ask Jesus if he really is who he says he is. It shows a moment of doubt. So is doubt good? Is it bad? How do we overcome it? Well, that's the subject of our time today as we continue with our series called Derailing Doubt. Won't you join us? Here now with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth, once again, our teacher and pastor, Pastor Steve Converse. As we look at the text here before us today, I found four reasons why John the Baptist doubted. And those four reasons are similar reasons why we doubt today. Let's look at the first reason. The first reason, reason number one, difficult circumstances. Difficult circumstances. Sometimes difficult circumstances tend to make us doubt. I mean, just humanly speaking, the career of John the Baptist really ended in disaster if you stop and you think about it. John was this fiery, dramatic dynamic, courageous, bold man who preached exactly what needed to be preached, to whom it needed to be preached, when it needed to be preached. And he did so with no fear whatsoever. He was bold. He was powerful. He was aggressive. When he saw sin, the Bible says that he rebuked it openly. He didn't coddle it. He rebuked it to the point he ended up in prison. That's how he ended up in prison, rebuking sin. Sometimes you have to be careful who you rebuke. In his case, it was Herod Antipas, who was the ruler of Galilee. And he had paid a visit to his brother in Rome. And when Herod went to see his brother, he took a liking to his brother's wife and ended up seducing her. And when he returned home, he proceeded to divorce his own wife and then steal his brother's wife and take her as a new wife. Well, John the Baptist heard about this, and we know what he did. He didn't write an anonymous article in the local newspaper. He went right out in public view in the face of Herod Antipas, and he told him that he was basically a rotten, vile sinner who was an adulterer, and he did so right to his face. Obviously, that didn't go over real well with Herod. (laughs) 
And he proceeded immediately to throw John the Baptist into prison. And he would have had him killed on the spot, but he was afraid of the people's reaction because there were so many people that followed John the Baptist knowing that he was a prophet of God. As a matter of fact, John the Baptist wasn't just thrown in any prison. History tells us that he was thrown in a prison five miles east of the northern tip of the Dead Sea. Fifteen miles south was this old Herodian palace that had been turned into a fortress. The name of this place was Macareus. In the bottom of it was a pit. Dark, hot dungeon in the middle of this desert. Well, that's where John ended up. For 18 months, stop and think about it, John had been in the limelight. He was known as a free spirit out in the wilderness, preaching, teaching, proclaiming. The whole country was coming to him. He was in the middle of the action, the crowds and the excitement. Everything was there. But now for over one year, he finds himself in the blackness of this stifling pit in the middle of the desert without any fresh air. William Barclay captured some of the significance of this description of where John was when he wrote this. John was the child of the desert. All his life he had lived in the wide open spaces with the clean wind on his face and the spacious vault of the sky for his roof. Now he was confined within the four narrow walls of an underground dungeon. For any man like John, who had probably never lived even in the house, this must have been pure agony. In the Carlisle Castle, there is a little cell Once long ago, they put a border chieftain in that cell and left him there for three years. Left him there for years. In that cell, there is one little window which was placed too high for the man to look out when he was standing on the floor. On the ledge of the window, there was two depressions worn away in the stone. They are the marks of the hands of that chief that border chieftain, the places where and day after day he lifted himself up by his hands to look out onto the green dales across which he would never ride again. John must have been just like that. And there's nothing to wonder at and still less to criticize in the fact that questions began to form themselves in John's mind. Sometimes circumstances brings doubt into our lives. John was a true saint, a prophet of God. Great, holy, faithful, selfless, loyal prophet. He had done exactly what God had told him to do. And he had done it well. He had announced the glorious coming of the Messiah who would make all things right and set up his kingdom. He was even a close relative to the Lord himself. The Bible says that he had been filled with the Spirit even since the time of his mother's, that he was in his mother's womb. He had taken the Nazarite vow, the highest level of spiritual commitment possible. And this was his reward? (laughs) This is it? Stuck in a pit in the middle of the desert? You see, doubt comes from our inability to deal with negative circumstances, with negative trials. 
If you're the God of all comfort and the Christ that cares, then why am I going through this, God? How many times have you asked God that? It doesn't square. I've been faithful. I've tried to do the right thing. I mean, John must have thought, didn't Isaiah prophesy in chapter 61, verses 1 to 2, that the Messiah came, that when the Messiah came, he would free the prisoners and set loose the captives? Hello, you remember me? (laughs) This isn't the way it's supposed to be. Isn't there a place of blessedness for such a faithful man as I have been? See, our doubts are no different. They come like John's doubts. We convince ourselves that we belong to the Lord and the Lord is going to care for us. And when something goes wrong, what happens? We really begin to doubt. The wheels fall off the cart. Maybe we lose a child to death or unbelief or we lose a husband or a wife or even a mother or father or a dear friend. Maybe someone gets close to us gets cancer or has a heart attack or a child is struck by a car crippled for life and we begin to say God is this what it's supposed to be like when you care for and love us see if everything doesn't go the way it should go what do we do we wonder if God loves us and we fall easily into doubt and once we start thinking that way then Satan just gets behind it and starts pushing and in our selfishness and our ignorance and in our failure to see the whole plan of God and in our constant problem of getting tied down to this passing world we begin to doubt God we doubt that he cares for us we doubt that he loves us maybe we lose our job or something like that and we just start questioning God well John doubted because of the difficult circumstances in which he found himself in I can understand that. But you know what? He did the right thing with his doubt. He went immediately to the Lord. See, that's the place to go if you have doubt over those kinds of things. You go to the Lord. Yeah, he began to stumble. Verse 6 kind of makes that clear. He was offended and he had stumbled. But you know what? He reached out to the Lord. He asked him to help him deal with his doubt. And he sent these two disciples to the Lord himself. And in effect, Lord, would you help me? The Lord was glad to respond. And he even said, blessedness can come if you'll just trust me. Even in the midst of mystifying circumstances, just trust me. You remember Paul was in prison in Philippians 4, but he didn't doubt. Tells us, says, I rejoice, rejoice always. And again I say rejoice, he said. He said, be anxious for nothing but by prayer and supplication. See, he got tuned into the Lord. Paul said, I know how to be abased, I know how to abound, I know how to have everything, and I know how to have nothing. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and have the confidence that my God will supply all my needs. See, like Paul, John went to the source. Negative circumstances are tough, beloved. But all they need to do is drive us to the Lord who will respond to those struggles by replacing our doubt 
with faith. The Lord. What does verse 5 say? He said, you tell John that the blind see and the lame walk and the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. What is that? A list of, of what is that? It's all the hurting, broken, crippled, crumbling people that Jesus Christ touched. And he's saying, John, if you think I don't care about the people who are hurting, if, you're, if you think I don't care about the people who are crippled, down on their luck, you take a look at the kind of people that I've touched. You take a look at the kind of people that I've ministered to. He wanted John to know that I do care. And he's basically, the message he's sending to John the Baptist is, you know what, John, this is only a preview of coming attractions in the kingdom. This is just a small little sliver of what it's going to be like in the kingdom. That's what he's saying. I do care. Can't you see by the people that I touch and that I reach out to? Stop and think about it. When you think of John's circumstances, they didn't really get any better. They actually got worse. Eventually, he got his head chopped off. See, doubt comes from difficult circumstances. But that only gives us an opportunity to exercise our faith. And faith, the Bible says, when it's exercised, what happens? It gets stronger. So he sends that little rebuke in verse 6. And he says, John, if you want to be blessed, don't doubt. Don't let anything lure you into the trap of doubt. Not even a difficult circumstance. John, I want you to know that I do care. Can't you see that by the people that I've touched? Someday you're going to be delivered. Maybe not in this world. Maybe in the next. I don't know. But don't think that I don't care. So the first thing is that can cause us to doubt is our circumstances. Secondly, the second thing that causes doubt is worldly influences. Worldly influences. Notice that it says in verse 2 that John heard about the works of Christ. And this confused him. It confused him because the works of Christ, the things that Christ was doing, unfortunately, it didn't parallel with what people expected the Messiah to do. The people all throughout the ages here, they thought that when the Messiah came, he would first knock off the Romans, just take care of them, just wipe them out and give Israel back her land. Secondly, they were thinking free food, just an instant welfare state. That's why in John 6, when Jesus fed the multitude on the hillside, what did they try to do right after that? <laughs> they tried to make him king, you remember? They wanted to make him king in the very next chapter. See, they wanted health, wealth. They wanted instant happiness. They thought all the wrongs would be made right. Everything would be as it ought to be immediately. And that was the expectation of the Messiah. And doubt is caused by worldly influence. See, John had become a victim of the thinking of his day. He began to question and say, you know what, it's not supposed to be this way, is it? Was Jesus supposed to be walking around meek and lowly with not a whole lot going on that changed the environment? The wrongs were still wrong. The injustices were still there. The sin was everywhere. It just wasn't the way it was supposed to be. And he had become victimized 
by the thinking of the people around him. It's also very clearly a problem of the disciples. They were the guys that were forever fighting doubts about Jesus because they had these expectations of the Messiah and Jesus didn't live up to them. That's why even in Acts 1, they were saying to him, is this the time you're going to bring the kingdom? <laughs> and he says to them for the millionth time, well, you guys are still asking these same dumb questions, aren't you? It's not for you to know. That's why even after all those years of being with him, he says in John 14, have I been so long with you and you still do not know who I am? They had these confused concepts that came from the world around them. One of the interesting things the Jews believe is and it comes up in Matthew 16, is that when the Messiah came, before he arrived, there would be a long succession of other guys who would come. A whole bunch of guys would come. And the Messiah would be the final one. That's why in Matthew 16, Jesus said to his disciples, who do men say that I am? And you remember their answer? They said, well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah. Other ones, they say, maybe you're one of the prophets. And he pinned him down and he says, well, who do you say that I am? And they replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, what did that reflect? It reflected the current Jewish thinking that there would be this long string of people coming. First, it would be Elijah, then Jeremiah, maybe a bunch of prophets, then the prophet of Deuteronomy 18. Finally, the Messiah would show up. See, and when Jesus did not do what John thought he should be doing, John began to ask the question, maybe I got these guys mixed up in their order. Maybe he's back a few guys, and maybe we should still be looking for somebody else. That's why he asked the question, are you him or do we look for somebody else? He's asking the question, where are you at in the line of succession here? So he was affected by that misinformation. The Jews expected the Messiah to be a certain thing. And it wasn't turning out that way. So there was doubt. There was confusion. Jesus even said in Matthew 16, I'm going to go and die. And then what did Peter say? Lord, let it not be so. You're not going to die. That's not in the plan. You remember that? And Jesus has to rebuke him and say, get behind me, Satan. You don't even know what the plan is. You see, they never understood it. On the night Jesus was going to be betrayed and taken out to be executed, they're sitting around arguing about who's going to sit on the thrones in the highest point of the kingdom. And here Jesus is about ready to go and die. They didn't get it. They looked right by it. When the Lord was taken prisoner, Peter was so totally disillusioned that he went out immediately. And it says that he denied Christ three times. See, it didn't make any sense to any of them. It didn't make any sense to Thomas or to those on the road to Emmaus who were moping and saying that, well, we thought he was the Christ. See, they all became victims of what people thought around them. They had a certain expectation of the Messiah, and when that expectation wasn't met, enter doubt. In fact, in John 10, 24, the Jews said to him, how long Will you keep us in suspense? Tell us who you are. You know what he said to them? 
Jesus replied, I told you who I was. But it went right over their heads. They weren't even on the same frequency. He was saying it over and over and over. But their expectation was so different that they couldn't hear what he was saying. You know, we face the same causes for doubt today. We doubt because we're perplexed by the plan of God. And I think a lot of times the world imposes that on us. Have you ever heard the question, if God is a God of love, why is this world so messed up? We've all heard that question. If God loves everyone so much, why do little babies die? Why do people starve? Why do people get diseases? Why is there war? Why is there death? If your God is so loving, why doesn't he just make things right in this world? Why is there so much injustice? If your God is so loving, why is he sending people to hell? They say, we'll tell you what kind of Christ we want. And if it fits, we'll believe. See, beloved, let us not become victimized by the world's message. Or we will begin to doubt. We'll begin to say, well, I don't know. Why doesn't God do something? I mean, if there is a God, why are there so many false religions? If he wants everyone to love him and he's so powerful, why doesn't he just wipe out all the false religions so we'll all believe the true one? See, when you start letting the world dictate to you what God is and what God is to do and what God is to be, you'll look at the Bible and you'll just wonder. You'll be perplexed. You'll be confused. The world does not know the plan of God, nor does it know God. They don't know Christ or understand who He is. The Bible says the natural man does not understand the things of God. And if you begin to let the world force you to think that Christ must be who we say we want Him to be, then you'll start doubting. Again, the solution is to go to Him. Simply go to Him. Well, we've seen in our past two messages on derailing doubt out of Matthew chapter 11 that even a great man like John the Baptist had issues with doubt. And we've seen that those issues with doubt can come from specific sources. He found himself in a very difficult circumstance in life. Maybe some of you are in that place of difficult circumstances today. Maybe the loss of a job or financial crisis or trouble in relationships. See, I don't know what the circumstances may be for you. But one thing I do know, God does know. He knows exactly what you're dealing with, and he wants to help you through it. Also, we've seen that the world and its influences can become a source of doubt in our lives. When we begin to listen to the current wave of worldly advice or counsel, instead of God's word, that too can be a source of doubt in our lives. Well, how are we to handle this doubt? Beloved, we need to be willing to take our doubts, our questions, our difficulties to the Lord. I know that without a doubt, he'll answer that prayer for help when it comes from a sincere, repentant heart. Won't you cry out to Jesus today? We serve a mighty God, and he desires to meet you right where you are and lift that burden of sin and doubt away by his grace. Won't you trust him today? Be sure to tune in next week as we conclude this series on derailing doubt. 
And please be sure to check us out on the web at gracefultruth.org. We're just putting together our website, so please be patient with us. But you can visit it now, and if you'd like to email us or contact us, and just let us know if this broadcast has been a blessing to you, we'd love to hear from you. The information is there. Well, may God bless you this next week, and thanks for listening to another broadcast of Graceful Truth, revealing God's grace through God's truth. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week, and we trust that you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. In fact, if you're looking for a place to attend worship for Easter, uh, might we suggest joining us if you're in the area? Now, we meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m., We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up through grade five. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call. We're at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can stop by our website, gracefultruth.org. Drop us an email. Let us know you paid us a visit. Whether you call or write to us, we'd love to hear from you. It means a great deal to us knowing that these programs encourage you week by week here on this radio station. We trust you'll have a blessed week and look forward to seeing you next time as we continue our studies here in God's Word, derailing doubt on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Cobb.